the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon and welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm Bob Bergman, estate planning attorney down in San Jose, California. As you're listening to this broadcast today, which is pre-recorded, I am on my way back from Chicago, where I've been visiting with my wife and kids. We've been visiting Grandma and Grandpa and taking in all the sights in that great city, as well as having some of the great food. Those of you who are from Chicago, like my wife, or who have visited there, you know that they have great entertainment and great food. I thought I'd use the show today to kind of go back to basics, which means go back to kind of the basics of what is estate planning and what is it that I do as an estate planning attorney. Let's start first with a little definition, a good practical definition of estate planning. I want to control my property while I'm alive, take care of me and my loved ones if I become disabled. I want to give my property to whom I want, the way I want, and when I want. Furthermore, if I can, I want to save every last tax dollar, professional fee, and court costs legally possible. Now, estate planning involves determining your needs, wants, and desires for your property and your family. To carry out your wishes may also involve preparing several legal documents. It may involve planning for a special needs child, a second marriage, a non-citizen spouse, or other special things in your family situation. Planning is also needed for a child who has a drug, alcohol, gambling, or other addiction problem, or other financial difficulties. Proper planning can also include providing for asset protection for the inheritance you're passing on to your spouse, your partner, your children, or others. Whether you're single or married, preparing a proper estate plan will help you avoid the expense and time delays of a probate proceeding after you've died and help avoid the need for a conservatorship if you become incapacitated while still alive and for very, very, very large estates may reduce or eliminate the federal estate tax, also known as the death tax, at your death. For families here in California, proper planning can also assure as much as possible that we preserve income tax benefits with California real estate and also with um, 
with stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things like that, but especially California real estate, preserving a step up in the cost basis of that property, which is an income tax concept, and in many cases, also making sure we preserve the lower assessed values of California real estate when they're passed on to the next generation. Improper planning or poor planning could actually trigger reassessment of property taxes and may also trigger capital gains tax when certain types of property is sold after someone's died. Now, here in the U.S., about two-thirds of the people in the country don't do estate planning at all. Now, a lot of people say, well, Bob, you know, how hard is it to do like a trust, for example? I mean, I can go and I can get a book from Barnes & Noble. There's a bunch of online websites I can go to. I can pick up software in the, in the bargain bin at, at one of the office supply stores. Uh, Self-help books are everywhere. And all of these give impression that estate planning is as easy as going in and ordering dinner off a menu in a restaurant. You may also get the impression that there's such a thing as a standard will, a standard living trust, standards of everything, all the legal documents used to create an estate plan. Now, there are things like a statutory will the legislature created. There's also a statutory power of attorney and a statutory advanced health care directive. But because they were created by the legislature here in California, while they may be pretty good for doing a lot of things, they're horribly bad for doing things that might be very important to you and your family. So there's really no such thing as a simple living trust or a simple estate planning. Estate planning is a legal specialty that takes hundreds, if not thousands of hours of study and years of practice to master. I happen to be board certified in estate planning, trust, and probate law, certified by the State Bar of California Board of Legal Specialization. I had to spend more time, effort, study, training, getting that certification than I did becoming a member of the bar and going to law school combined. So what you need to know is that attorneys in California can say they practice in any area of law without being specifically qualified or trained to do so. It's not like the medical profession where a general practitioner doctor is not authorized to do surgery or make certain ty types of diagnoses of illness because they're not specifically trained in that area. Now, it doesn't mean that a GP couldn't maybe do an emergency surgery on somebody, but that's not their normal practice and they should not be involved in that at all. Unfortunately, here in California, a lot of general practitioner attorneys sell wills and trusts as part of their law practice. They may also do family law, personal injury law, immigration, bankruptcy, landlord, tenant, you name it. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of attorneys in the Bay Area that sell wills and trusts. And really, they're, they're actually mostly selling documents, much like you might go to a service station 
and they sell tires. Uh, you could buy a tire at a service station. You can also buy at a service station. You can buy yourself probably a beef burrito, but it's not necessarily going to be a very healthy food item. And that tire that's hanging up on the wall in the service bay could have been sitting there for 10 years, and you don't know if it's really suited for your car and whether or not it's going to last and actually hold up when it needs to. An old trust, and I see actually a lot of old trusts drafted more recently by will and trust lawyers who are really not specialists that have things that are outdated, that are missing important things that should be in there, and in general are very, very weak substitutes for having planning done by someone who is an experienced estate planning specialist. Now, when I talk about estate planning, it's important to define just what I mean by your estate. A lot of people have different ideas of what their estate is, so I'm going to share some of the things that I believe are your estate. This includes all of the things that you own, or what I like to call your stuff, things like your personal residence if you have one, other real estate you may own in California or elsewhere in the country, like a second home, commercial buildings, vacant land, uh, multifamily dwellings, apartment buildings, deeded timeshares, which often are interest in real estate. People don't think of those as part of their estate. Then things like annuities you may own and life insurance that you have on your life. Life insurance is often overlooked because people don't think about life insurance as being part of their estate because it doesn't pay out until they've died. Your estate also includes things like stocks, bonds, mutual phones owned directly or through a brokerage account, but does not include any of those things owned in retirement plans like IRAs, 401k, 403b, 457 plans, Keogh plans, pension plans. Those are part of your estate, but they're not really owned in exactly the same way as everything else you may own. Then we have checking accounts, savings accounts, money markets, CDs, business interests, corporations, LLCs, LLPs, stock options, personal property. In other words, all of your stuff. Now, after the break, I'm going to come back and talk about what might be, for many people, the most important asset that you have in your estate. You may or may not be surprised when you hear about it, but I guarantee it's probably going to be important to you. So, after the break, I'll be coming back and talking about the other side of estate planning. Talk with you then. This is Attorney Bob Bergman of Plan Your Estate Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back here on this Friday. Uh, before the break, I was talking about something that I promised to tell you after the break, but I need to let you know something. Due to a little technical difficulty I had at my end in my studio in my office, having to do with not having enough IP addresses on my system, when I tried to sign in for the show today, I found I wasn't able to connect with the station. We got it all figured out, so what you heard in the first segment of the show was actually a repeat of the first segment of last Friday's show. So I'm sorry. Uh, if you want to find out what happens, you need to go back and you need to listen to the podcast 
from last Friday's show at kdow.biz. You can look up the date and listen to that, and then you'll find out the exciting conclusion of the first segment in the second segment. So uh, I just want to reiterate, uh, I'm back live now. The first segment today was recorded from last week. I do not have a seminar tomorrow morning. That's that's not happening. The next seminar won't be until uh, this coming Saturday morning at 9 o'clock in my office. You can always go to my website at lawbob.com and follow the links to register for that seminar. Uh, the number here, 800-516-1220. If you'd like to ask me a question on the air, you can always email me at any time with your questions comments or to request a copy of my free consumer guide to Wills Living Trust and Estate Planning, that's here in California, to radio at lawbob.com. Now, I got some great news this week from the station. They told me that starting tomorrow morning, and that would be September 1st, starting tomorrow morning, my shows will be rebroadcast at 6 a.m., and 3 p.m. on every Saturday. So if you're listening to the show today and you hear something that you'd like to hear again, or if you want to let somebody know, hey, there was something on the show today, was it about the, you know, it was about halfway through the show or something, you can always tell them that the show will be rebroadcast at 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. every Saturday going forward. So here in uh, here I'm broadcasting now from my office here in San Jose, as I mentioned before, and I'm going to continue on with the approach that I've been taking for the last several weeks, which is to share with you actual situations that are arising here in the state of California with other people here in California that are running into various issues. Some of them are very easy to handle. Some of them can be very complicated. But I'd like to share a lot of them with you because you may be in a situation like this yourself and you've been wondering what the answer to the question is. Now, here's one. This probably comes up more often than people realize. This person says they're the beneficiary of an irrevocable trust that terminated when I turned 25. Now, that's not an uncommon thing might have a trust that says hold the property in trust until the beneficiary reaches some age or fulfills some milestone like graduating from college or something like that. In this case, it's when the person turned 25. The trustee of the trust was ill and passed away before the trustee was able to distribute the property to the beneficiary. And now the company's holding the assets of the trust are telling the beneficiary, hey, we can't help you because you're not the trustee, you're just the beneficiary. So the question was, hey, can I do something with the courts to gain legal authority over the assets of my trust? The answer is yes. I think this person's hit right exactly what should be done. They probably need to petition the court for... um, to take over as the trustee of their own trust because now they're entitled to the property. Uh, That can be done. It might take them a while, but eventually they'll get control of their property going through the court system. They probably should have an attorney assist them with this. And this actually points out um, sometimes an issue with trust and something that I do in the trust that I draft is to give a lot of different alternatives for successor trustees to be appointed 
if the existing trustee is no longer able to act as the trustee because of incapacity, because they resigned, or because they passed away. For example, here the trust could have provided that the beneficiary could replace the trustee once the beneficiary was of age to actually receive the property. Or that the beneficiary, like I sometimes do, that the beneficiary could take over as the trustee of their own trust at age 25 or some other conditions. So this would not have been an issue for this person. So here the intention was there, but the planning maybe wasn't as complete as it could have been to make it easier for this person to uh, take over. Now, here, here's another uh, issue, another person who was a beneficiary that was supposed to get property at age 25, but here's the problem. There's supposed to be $100,000 put into interest-bearing account. Now, what does that mean? That means like a checking account, savings account, money market account that pays interest. What that also means is the money was not supposed to be put at risk at all. Now, this was supposed to be used given to the person when they were 25 or if they went to college to use for college. Now this person's 26 and and the aunt of this person who was in charge of this says, well, I made bad investments with the money and basically the estate is exhausted, meaning I lost the 100000 plus the interest. So here's the issue what can the beneficiary do? Well, I'd say the beneficiary has a really solid claim against his aunt to not only reimburse the trust for the money that was lost, but also for the lost interest that should have been accruing in there all since the time this aunt was handling the property. This is because if it said, put it in an interest-bearing account, that means the aunt should not have been making any kind of risky investments at all which means she violated her responsibilities as the trustee of the trust for the benefit of her nephew. The nephew has a really solid claim. The aunt better be prepared to open up her wallet or or purse and pay back her nephew the missing money plus the interest on it. Now here, uh, let's see here. Someone asked a question, hey, Is an attorney required for the administration or oversight of an irrevocable trust in California? In this case, the trust uh, is a simple trust. There's a single minor beneficiary. The trustees kind of handled everything so far. I'm going to do their own accounting, reporting, tax work through a CPA. They want to know, is it required to have a, a trust like this? assisted by an attorney in California? And the the answer is no. You don't have to hire an attorney. If you feel that you're competent to do it or you can hire other people to assist you, an attorney is not automatically necessary and is certainly not required to help and assist with a trust like this. Now, we're reaching the midpoint of the show today. When I come back after the break, I'll be continuing on with more of these situations from around California, what I call the questions and comments. You can call me at 800-516-1220. Email me at radio at lawbob.com. And another reminder, the show today will be rebroadcast on 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. every Saturday going forward. So after the break, we'll get back to more questions and comments. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. 
Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. As we head into this Labor Day weekend, I hope you all have some plans. Um, I know my family's planning to go enjoy the the water park at uh, Gilroy Gardens tomorrow. Uh, we might see you down there. Uh, if you go to my website, you can see what I look like. If you happen to see me there, feel free to come on up and say hi. That'll be just fine with me. Um, continuing on with questions and comments, uh, let me move on with some other ones. This is out of um, Southern California. And someone wants to know is, uh, can I name my three daughters as equal beneficiaries but if one dies before me, can her heirs receive her share? Well, that actually describes pretty common planning. Um, when you do trust planning, for example, you'll typically identify that you want property to go to your children or their descendants, which would mean if the child has passed away that the child's share would go to that child's descendants. Here the concern is, um, person says, I may have been ruled unable to manage my affairs and then I could not change the beneficiaries. So that will work for a lot of things. But then this person goes on to say, would this apply to an IRA and insurance policies? It gets a little more complicated there. With the insurance policies, I would probably recommend that you have the insurance paid to a living trust or trust of some kind, and then the proceeds divided up according to what the trust says. It's really hard to fill out uh, what we call contingent beneficiaries on insurance policies. And, and IRAs, I won't even get started about IRAs. They're a special kind of asset, and they're very, very difficult to plan with for beneficiaries if you're just trying to use the little beneficiary form with whoever is holding the IRA for you. So I would lean towards having insurance paid to a trust with instructions in a trust. For the IRA, that's something probably this, this person shouldn't talk with someone like me because it's more complicated than I can answer in a couple of minutes on the air. So here, um, hmm, can a trustee of an irrevocable trust be removed without notice? And does the trustee need to know this has been done? So here it says, uh, after my father died, my brother and his wife took over control of my mother and turned her against me. The trust said my brother and I together should be trustees. Later, when my mom became ill, I found out they had removed me as trustee and my sister-in-law put in. Of course, my mother did everything they said. Is this legal? Excellent question. To answer that question, you'd have to look at the trust document itself. And if there was a trust that, that was irrevocable, then unless, uh, unless the mother actually retained the right to change the trustees of the trust, that would mean that the only way you could change the trustees of the trust would be to go to court and request a change in order or change in who's actually the trustees. If the brother and his wife just had the mother sign some paperwork saying that the other brother's out and now they're the trustees, that may not have been following the terms of the trust. It may not be appropriate. 
Um, it's probably not legal. doesn't mean that you're going to go to jail for doing it, but it, it could probably very easily be challenged as not following the law and not following the terms of the trust unless the explicit authority to make changes like that was retained in the trust by the mother. Now, here's a situation. This is fairly complicated, but follow along with me here. This also comes out of Southern California. Mom and dad bought a home in L.A. County to qualify for the mortgage they had their son, we'll call him their son, John, co-sign. So John is on the deed and the mortgage for mom and dad's house. John moved away to Oregon several years ago and last year was involved in a fatal car accident where he moved. No charges were filed, but he's now being sued for wrongful death. There's no liens on the house. No judgments have been awarded yet, and they haven't gone to court yet. So the question is, if John quit claims his interest back to his parents, would that protect the house and the parents against future judgments? Well, this is a really, really good question. And this this goes over into debtor-creditor law. And the thing is, if John quit claims his interest in the house back to his parents now, when he has, when he's actually been sued already, then that whole action could probably be undone by the people suing them if they get a judgment against him. Because if they go and they ask, do you own any property? Have you transferred any property? If he transfers the property now with a lawsuit pending against him and they get a judgment against him, that would likely be overturned by a judge as a transfer basically to defraud a creditor. The time to do this for John would have been before he had an accident and apparently killed somebody. Now, of course, it's nice to look at that in hindsight, but this brings up that broader issue of should your child or children be on the title to your home or anything with you if it, in fact, is your asset? Um, and, And it raises this question. Creditors' claims uh, can actually be traced into a property if you put your child on the title with you. And here these parents are at risk of having their house either sold for their son's share before he quit claimed it or coming up with the money to pay off whatever judgment in order to preserve their house from being sold. Not a good situation. And that's why I regularly advise people Don't put your kids on the title to your property, especially as joint tenants to avoid probate. Um, You're going to potentially end up with your own property being taken from you, or if not taken from you, sold out from under you. You'll get the proceeds of the house. The parents will get their share of the proceeds of the house, but they'll have lost their house, and it probably will trigger a big income tax capital gains liability for the parents more the longer they've owned the property. Now, here's someone, uh, uh, they had a living trust that they had created by a law firm, and they're updating it, and they need to replace the successor trustee. And they asked the question, could I or should I designate my credit union who holds the mortgage on my house as my successor trustee? Now, I'll tell you right now, Uh, Could I? 
Yes, you could. Should I? I would say absolutely not. If they're holding the mortgage on your house and you were to put them in charge, they have a built-in conflict of interest with you and your interest because they're supposed to represent you, but they're also, they're also a creditor of yours. So there's a direct conflict of interest. Second thing is, I'm sure the credit union probably does not have authority to act as a trustee. In order for a, a bank or something like that to act as a trustee, they have to be licensed to do so um, by the state. And I would be very uh, surprised if a credit union would ever act as a trustee for anyone. I think that uh, would be very surprising to me. What the person should be doing is either locating the trust department of a bank or an independent trust company or maybe a local licensed fiduciary, someone that's licensed by the state, interview several of them and come up with one, two or three of them to put in as successor trustees so that you have someone to take over if you need someone to take over for you. So here, uh, someone wants to know, how do I decide between a living trust or a will? I have family, properties, and for some reason, travel three times a month. I'm not sure how that's relevant, but I would say clearly, if you have real estate, you should have a living trust. If you have family that you love, you should have a living trust. The property should be put in that way so you can set it up to be protected for your family. As I say sometimes, why would you leave anything to your children if you love them? Put another way, if you love your children, why would you leave them anything? What I'm talking about there is not leaving things directly to children, but leaving them in an asset-protected form using a special type of trust after you have died. Um, and, and so that's what I think this person should be doing is looking at having a living trust and then maybe doing asset protection planning in there for the children. It could also be done for the share of one spouse to die in reference to the surviving spouse to protect that inheritance for the surviving spouse. Okay, this is a quick one as we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show um, how can I get my late father-in-law's money? Uh, the amount is less than $1,800. Um, my, my wife took a notarized power of attorney, allowing her to access the account, but the bank said, can't do that. Now, the reason for that is because her dad, father-in-law, has died, and a power of attorney authority ends at death. So what this person's going to need is they're going to need what's called an affidavit of small estate value that will have a death certificate and a sworn statement by the daughter that she is entitled to receive that property. And that's pretty much uh, how she would do that. So we're coming up on the end of this third segment. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. 800-516-1220 or radio at lawbob.com. So this is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll be talking to you after the break, which will be in just a few more minutes.
This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back for the last segment of our show today. Again, I'm hoping you all have a, a good, solid Labor Day weekend. Everybody, if you're going somewhere, drive safe. Be very, very careful out there. People can tend to be a little bit crazy on holidays, and their their attention is focused on other things, and they may not be as attentive on the road. So as we enter the last segment of the show today, I, I just another brief reminder, if you're just joining the show, uh, going forward, the shows will be rebroadcast on KDOW on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. in the afternoon, also on Saturdays. So if you missed the first part of the show, you can hear it tomorrow morning uh, or tomorrow afternoon. You can always go to kdow.biz and look for the podcasts of this show and prior shows as well. Now we have a simple question out of San Francisco. If, if property is held in a living trust by a couple and one spouse dies, what forms need to be completed to remove the deceased spouse from the title? Well, this is pretty straightforward. Um, but there's also maybe a little complexity underneath. The first thing is you would file what's called an affidavit of death of trustee, a form that basically informs the uh, informs the public that one of the two, in this case, one of the two spouses has passed away. The affidavit has a certified copy of a death certificate attached to it, and it's it's not a change in ownership or anything like that. It just informs people that there is now only one trustee left on the property. That would permit this spouse to get a loan on the property as the survivor, assuming that the lender they go to will permit them to actually get the loan in the name of the trust as opposed to taking the property out of the trust. Something to be aware of, though, is that if it's a living trust that requires the deceased spouse's share of the property go into a trust for the surviving spouse, an irrevocable trust, then the surviving spouse may have issues with getting a new loan. Uh, And if they ignore the fact that it's supposed to go into an irrevocable trust, that could cause problems later on down the line when uh, people are actually... um, trying to administer the estate of the surviving spouse when the surviving spouse dies. Now, here's someone out of, uh, let's see, it's Walnut, California. Says, I'm the co-executor of my mother's estate according to her will. She died last year. I live in Southern California. Most of her estate is in Northern California, uh, actually in Santa Clara County, where where I uh, live and practice and work and spend most of my time. And want to know, do I have to send paperwork to the Santa Clara County Superior Court or can I send it to the Los Angeles County Superior Court? The answer is you file the paperwork to probate this estate wherever your mother was a resident in the state. So if she was living in Santa Clara County, that's where the probate takes place. And the fact that you live in another county or even another state doesn't change the fact that it's the county where mom lived that is the one that determines all of the probate matters. 
So you would not send it to Los Angeles. You'd send it to Santa Clara County unless mom lived in Los Angeles County. Then it doesn't matter if most of her property's in Santa Clara County. You'd still administer the estate in Los Angeles County. That would be considered proper. Uh, If someone's from out of state, then pretty much they can administer in any county where um, where property's located if the person live in the state. If they live in the state, you have to go to the county where the decedent, the person who died, where they actually lived. Now, here's, here's kind of a, here's another straightforward one here. Uh, I bought a house 20 years ago. I'd like to move it into my revocable living trust. Will I lose the Prop 13 freezing of property tax? The answer is absolutely not. A transfer of your property into a revocable living trust for your own benefit is not considered a change in ownership under Proposition 13. There are several other transfers that are not considered a change in ownership for the purpose of reassessing property taxes. So that's an easy one right there. Um, Okay, here's a question kind of similar to one I talked about a little earlier in the show. Mom and dad have an irrevocable trust. Dad died several years ago. Um, And then um, before he passed, my brother died. And nothing was done on the trust at that time. My brother has two kids. After dad died, mom was convinced she should update the trust. And when doing so, was told my brother's benefits would automatically revert to his children without stipulation. She's upset at this because she only wanted benefits to go to the children and there were no contingent beneficiaries noted. Is this standard procedure in California law? Well, Yes and no. It depends on, first of all, what the trust says. If the trust says it goes there, that's where it goes. If it's silent on it, then it probably would pass to the brother's children by operation of law. And so unless mom can actually amend this trust because it's still amendable, she's going to be stuck with that as a result. Well, we're wrapping up today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, I will be talking with you again next Friday. Again, until next Friday, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman down in San Jose. Hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. Talk with you next week, and goodbye for now. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.